Hello and welcome to Do It Justice, your local bi-weekly podcast on which a guest speaker and I discuss three ideas all under one umbrella theme, or as I like to call it, debate with a mate. I just want to give a disclaimer that this podcast will potentially discuss family problems, rape and trauma, so if these are trigger topics for you, this episode might not be your cup of tea. Before we start the episode, if you enjoy, please make sure to give it a share on your social medias. I really appreciate it. Thank you for coming back to the 12th episode, or if you're new, thanks for joining in. So, I want to welcome on Isabel, who's been on before. Hi, I'm back. <laughs> She's back and better than ever. Um, for sure. So, last episode, we spoke about like basically female sexuality and the sexualization of females, didn't we? We did indeed. And today we are here to talk about kind of familial relationships and relationships in general. Um, yes. So I text Milner and I said, um, I've got a really interesting one. I personally have come to the conclusion that every family is dysfunctional. Do you agree? She said, let's do a podcast. So do you want to start with what your thoughts are? Okay, so I did a little bit of talking around with various different people when you spoke to this, spoke to me about this originally. Okay. Um, and a couple of like key initial things kind of came to light. Like one of them was my opinion, which is the fact that I strongly believe that every family is dysfunctional in some way. Yeah. Um, just generally. Another thing was how you would want to define dysfunctional. So would you consider it to be like arguing a lot or actual specific issues Fault. or like scenarios that have come about and then the third one was the idea that if every family is dysfunctional is that normal we've both kind of concluded yeah is that the norm yeah yeah, exactly no that that was a question I was gonna ask you and just to go back to like arguing I think that whilst like say for example um, I'm in a family with three girls and so we are like naturally there is um kind of a catty atmosphere sometimes yes but I don't, necess- I don't necessarily think that um, all dysfunctional families need to be argumentative because, for example, you could have a family where the children are very submissive, they never question anything their parents have said, mm. and um, thus that is dysfunctional because the, the children never um, create their own opinion or have their own thoughts. What do you think? I think that is a really good theory. So I, I agree with what you're saying there, though one thing that I would say going back to what you said about the whole catty atmosphere thing could you then argue that families are dysfunctional based on more like the scenario so every family is dysfunctional because of the individual scenario that's come about so the amount of siblings what gender the siblings are and then that impacts you as a person do you know what I mean yeah I definitely think that the amount of children in the family um let's let's just um talk as if every family is dysfunctional I definitely think the amount of children in the family determines what type of dysfunctionality you have I would agree with that yeah because say for example if you have a single child you're often unless that single child is naturally you know a natural born leader or a naturally very outspoken person you're going to have someone who is brought up in a very secluded kind of environment and where they've never really questioned anything they've never really had anyone to spar with and so that can create dysfunctional people what do you think I disagree with that okay quite strongly because there are well there are some people that I know that are very submissive and only children so I think the relationship that that particular person will have with their parents when they leave home is going to be very very distant because they're distant. finally oh. I think I I 100% agree but I would believe that it would be distant because she's I probably shouldn't shouldn't have said the gender <laughs> but they have been on their own so much and had to listen to so much of their parents being very vigilant about how they'll do things and how they'll be brought up what time they'll be home whether they're allowed out and so on and they they do have quite strict parents I think when they go off to uni, when they're able to move out, I think the relationship that they will then have with their parents is going to be very distant because they've got newfound freedom. So I think it does create dysfunctional people if they are submissive. But I do completely disagree that it's going to be all cases that people are quite submissive if they're an only child because they've not had someone to spar with. Because there are other people that I know who are only children and 
went through phases of having horrible relationships with their parents because all they wanted to do was rebel, do their own thing, not mm. be around their parents, gain their independence. And so I think it's very circumstantial, but yeah. I do agree that there are situations where submissive people will end up separate from their parents eventually yeah I mean that's not to say that say for example you've got a submissive um person in a family of like five I'd still think that they will like I, I do think you know it's the argument of is it nature versus nurture yes but, true um, to go back to just like the I, I I would disagree because you're basically saying that with a submissive person their relationship with their parents would basically deteriorate once they have the ability to move out of home right yeah and they wouldn't have the same kind of um grip on them in regards to their behavior and what they do I disagree just because I think that um, after living in a home for 18 years, the lessons you've learned and the um, model of life that you've been given and presented and always had to follow is so rigidly imprinted in your brain. But that by that point, you don't really know how to rebel and you don't like I'm, I'm thinking of someone in my life that I know and obviously you can't like use one model to, to one person to model every single type of person who's a single child. Yeah, but like knowing their behavior I know that they're not going to go away to uni and become this like massive rebel they're going to live the way their parents have kind of almost for want of a better word trained them to do so okay I can see where you're coming from but then I think it's churlish for like either of us to disregard the fact you've got an example of someone you know and you know that because of the way they've been brought up they will live that particular way their whole life yeah whereas like I use the example of someone that I also know and I know that it's the whole idea that strict parents breed sneaky kids like I know that this person is going to be like they have still lived the life that they wanted to live entirely just their parents had absolutely no idea so going away to uni and being able to separate themselves from that, they will then be able to live their own life and will become much more distant, in my view, because they're then able to live their life in the foreground instead of having to hide it. Do you know what I mean? But then arguably there, so, so you say, and I completely agree because I've just thought of another person who um, is a single child in my head. And I do agree with the thing that strict parents do create sneaky children. But yep. arguably this person who goes away to university or goes away anywhere, whether they move out and have an apprenticeship, etc. Arguably they've never been close to their parents then. And it's just a case of that physical distance because the emotional distance has always been there. I think I would agree with that to a certain extent because using this particular example that I've kept using whenever I've seen um, particularly the child with their mother they don't really seem to have any proper relationship they don't talk to one another like I know when I'm in public situations with my mum we will banter we'll chat we'll even just like small talk or I'll ask her something like what are we having for dinner like I've never heard that they're just silent around one another so I I I see where you're coming from and I do think that's a possibility but then going back to the whole idea of like dysfunctional families and like single parents single children being like alone and growing up to be submissive like I think we were always saying that there was an emotional distance between the parent and the child because Mm. if they are submissive and they are trained to be a particular type of way even internally they might not know how to change that but surely there could be some resentment I obviously I think it depends on the type of person but me personally I think if I'd grown up to just be entirely submissive to the way my parents had brought me up I would feel some kind of resentment toward that regardless of whether I could change it or not do you know what I mean no I I agree I think that it's hard because say for example for the most part most people and we and like um in my like French group I always call like the year nine or year ten phase where you're like everyone is a complete arsehole because you're like at the climax of um puberty you're just all the hormones yeah all the hormones you're discovering yourself you're like probably like being bullied but not like in an overt way you know like pressure and stuff like that yeah 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 and so like for me for example I was like horrible in this phase and I I remember yeah (laughs) (laughs) and then I came back to my parents and like I came back to family and I and I turned like you what I'm trying to say is I think that if you're not a submissive person through and through what you do is you are with your parents and you regard their rules and then you get to a certain point where you just want to be a rebel like you say yes you rebel you rebel and then you turn back to them would you agree? Uh, I see where you're coming from because I feel like I've 
kind of gone through that in a sense like I a lot of the time now if I have conversations with my with my mum I'll know what she's on about and I'll get why she said something yeah yeah yeah, yeah. though I do think it we can't say that like all kids who are outspoken do come back to their parents because I think some kids would just have better relationships with their parents if they moved out and they were able to have their own space because then you could you could approach your parents you could ring your parents you could talk to them but I think a lot of the tension comes especially with outspoken kids who do want to do what they want from having to adhere to the rules that parents put in place within their own households because a lot of the time if your morals are slightly different or your outlooks on life are slightly different the way you're going to approach like following the rules in the house and doing what you want within the house is going to be very different Mm. because they're going to have a different idea of how you're going to live than you do and that causes tension so I think a lot of the time dysfunctional families in inverted commas tend to slowly get better with the kids moving out do you know what I mean I completely agree this is a this is a discussion that I've had with my parents many a time because basically I am like my parents have just said you've outgrown this house and you yeah. are like you need to go to university and that was one of the big Leave. things <laughs> basically <laughs> and that was one of the big reasons why um I was kind of not going to be too upset if I didn't get an offer from Oxford because Oxford's terms are very short yeah and so that's it a meant that I would have to move home and so my it's like well if I get in it's it's two months and then a month and a half at home and so that was like quite detrimental because I knew that having had a taste of newfound freedom at university I would hate coming back and almost feeling like quite claustrophobic at home yes yes Um, I agree and I do think that unfortunately like that for example those little squabbles and literally even about like what I'm having for lunch or when I'm getting up or what my room looks like has taken a toll on my relationship with my parents to a certain extent so I think that um it is it is a case of as you get older and as children move out when it comes to because then also then you're not going to when you're at home you have to make conversation with your parents whereas yes when you're you've moved away you consciously make an effort to reach out to them and I think that's what makes the relationship healthier yes for sure it's your choice to take part in the relationship instead of having to be a part of it constantly yeah exactly but here's a question do you think that we should always no matter what have a good healthy relationship with parents see now I don't think it's avoidable to always have a healthy relationship with someone's parents. I don't think any child will always have a healthy relationship. And I think there are times when having a healthy relationship with your parents is detrimental to you or try, I worded that wrong, trying to, force a healthy relationship with your parents is detrimental to like some children's mental health okay in what sense because are they sacrificing part of their identity what 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 are you talking I would I definitely agree with what you just said about sacrificing part of your identity that's it's very difficult to maintain a healthy relationship with your parents if the definition of healthy for them is you leaving at the door a part of yourself that you hold dear or a part of yourself that's really important to you Mm. um I also think a lot of the time we talk about a lot in like modern society the whole idea of like cut out toxic people it's very difficult when the toxic people are in fact your parents (laughs) (laughs) not necessarily all the time but there are phases that people go through where it's just like you it, it's not even you it's just it's, it's very fractious and yes. there's no unity within how you are and how they are and you can't seem to find a middle ground where you're not arguing constantly like I've been in through periods of my life where every single time I've left the house and I'm talking every single time I left the house for about a month there would be an argument caused I would come home and have an argument with my parents because um I was going to be 10 minutes after they said that I wanted to go I was meant to be home or because it was a Saturday night I asked if I could stay out for slightly longer or see like some other person yeah and they said no and like I'd come home but it wouldn't just be a no there would then be a massive argument that would come from it's disrespectful for you to think for you to think that you can change plans or this or it's an ongoing problem that you think you can do this or you think you can change that and it's like I was just asking the question 
yeah. could have just said no. Do you I know think, what I mean? I think that's very, very true. And I think it comes down to the fact that it's about control. Like, I, yes, I've i had is. a conversation with Mumsy and she said to me, I just feel as though I've lost, like, a version of you. And I think sometimes, like I said, say, for example, if we take this year nine, year ten phase, when mm. we turn away from, like, I, you know, Broadly speaking, a lot of people in my French group did the same thing. We turn away from our parents. We we rebel. We aren't a nice person, mm-hmm. um, but we're we're like you know, uh, not to be sentimental, but we're finding ourselves, finding our feet. Yes. And so then when we turn back to them, they're like, "Who is this new person?" Once they realise we're not like a, a, a I can, the devil, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I think not just that, but I think as we do grow up, one thing that I've struggled to come to terms with when within my own family is the fact that. I can now make decisions that my mum doesn't approve of, but she can't stop me doing it. Yeah. <laughs> but it, you laugh, but genuinely, unintentionally, I will say, I'm going to do this. And my mum mm. will be like, well, I don't like it. I don't want you to, all of this. Mm. But she can't actually stop me. Yeah. She can't actually change. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. So it's like, I, I will end up doing it. And then I'll come back and she'll be very disappointed in me. And she'll huff and puff and walk around the house slamming doors and things but it's like I've still done it and there's yeah. not much you can say and it's about choosing your battles really isn't it oh, oh it definitely is and I've always had to have that in my mind when it's like just even minor things and also I think when you get like accustomed to certain behavior around your peers and stuff like quarantine yes. for me has been awful because of the yes. fact that I've been so used to having like um Kind a particular of, type of joke yeah particular type you of can't joke. say that <laughs> like the other like literally yesterday I used the phrase um slag off um and my mum was like oh my god Libby you can't say that around this house and I was like didn't even like clock that she would find that offensive yeah. you just don't realize it's like minors the worst one is um obviously I've been able to see some of my friends because some of them drive mm. so I've been on walks with some of them and because I've not done that in so long I've then come home and completely forgotten that I can't talk the way I, t- I talk <laughs> around my friends my mum and I actually turned round and she said something outrageous something about I can't remember what it was, but it was one of those things where it was like really blindingly obvious and I was in the process of doing it. She just wasn't looking at me, so she couldn't see that. Yeah. And I bas- I turned around to her and I went, bitch, I'm in the middle of it. And she <laughs> went, oh, Isabel, you cannot talk to me like that. Yeah. And it, it wasn't intentional whatsoever. No. But I'm just used to saying that to other people and not to her. I and don't actually, know. I usually, when I call people like a bitch, it's usually out of like love. <laughs> exactly. It is a term of endearment. Yeah, I yeah. Don't think, I think it's a generational thing. I think we're aware of it, but other people aren't. I completely agree. But uh, what my issue is, is that like I find the idea of parenting really troublesome because have like I know that my parents were quite strict for a lot of my childhood and like yes. teenage years. Yes. And I know that that created me to become sneaky and so yeah let's just take even like this on the minor level of allowing your children to swear do you think Mm. it's better to allow your children to swear because you know that they probably do outside of the house or do you think it's better to keep that kind of safe space I don't know because then they're lying when they come home I I I really I don't know how I managed to but my brain is really good at not swearing at home but when I'm with my friends it's prolific it's horrific yeah 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 yeah. so what do you think where do we draw the line like what's better um so I think it obviously changes from household to household but for me I swore or like was aware that that was a thing Mm. from like primary school so I was very young and would just like be swearing like not around the house and up until about year nine my mum had a massive issue with it if I ever swore by accident she'd have a go at me we'd have a long conversation so from about year nine onwards as Sam and I were getting older my mum started swearing more around the house. Yeah. And I think that came from the fact that when she was younger, I think she swore. We've never had that conversation, but that's kind of the presumption that I made because as we got older, she would swear, not even intentionally, like something would go wrong on the laptop and she'd just exclaim a profanity. But mm. I think I think as long as it's not excessive and every other word is a naughty word, in yeah. inverted commas, I think it is like acceptable. And as long as with that I think if you as a parent encourage your children to understand that you can do it within certain situations but not within certain company and as long as they encourage you to be aware of that then they're doing the job correctly anyway do you know what I mean yeah I think I I I think my um 
swearing story also started in like probably like about primary school and I think I was testing the boundaries because I don't think I understood how bad the like obviously how bad the words were you know that's dependent on the person but I I literally I remember vividly I was in the bath and um the door was open I must have been in year five or year six for the door to be open no I know and I was I started um so you know when you're like weeing it makes this like sound right and so I was in the bath and I started going piss and I started saying it into my mum <laughs> until she came in. And I was, like, doing it to test the boundaries to, like, see if it was a bad word if or not. she respond to it, yeah. And she came in and she was absolutely fuming. And I knew I'd, like, absolutely... I was like, mm, oh, God, I've messed up, haven't I? But it was hilarious. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so that was my teenage... Or, like, um, previous yeah, years of rebellion. Yeah. But um, just to go back to, like, parents swearing, like you said, when my... Like, my parents rarely swear and it's almost uncomfortable for me when they do and I remember the first time they swore and I knew kind of the meaning of the word I I felt so uncomfortable to hear those words out of their mouth and now we still don't regularly swear but I think that's to do with the fact that I've got younger siblings than you do so maybe like when we get a little bit older admittedly I swear around um obviously my stepdad's got daughters as well Mm. so I swear around them and Dill swears around them as well um and we just have the ongoing joke of like, well, actually, um, the theory is if anyone swears around Harriet, my little sister, um, she gets to pluck out one of our like leg hairs or nose hairs or something. <laughs> it's never happened um, in reality, but I think she just gets excited about that prospect. So she really likes to tell on us if we swear. So, <laughs> I mean, that's one way to um, enforce a rule, isn't it? Oh yeah, for sure. Though I think <laughs> I, I, it's never actually happened. So bless her. There we go. Well, should we move on to the next uh, topic, which isn't really a topic. It's just a discussion around the phrase, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Yes. So I brought this up because I thought it was really interesting. I've recently been doing a lot of research into attachment types and like generational trauma. And Mm. I've been watching Amy Lee. She's on YouTube. She's incredible. She does these like 20 minute videos unearthing like loads of different topics. Oh, cool. And um, she spoke about how a lot of her issues, like deep down issues, like whether whether it comes to self-esteem or struggling to speak out about her emotions, are issues that she has seen in her parents' behaviour. And so it just got me thinking whether because she spoke about I didn't want to become a mother and she's not a mother um, yet or if she ever does want to become one but she Mm. said I don't want to become a mother until I know that I've not got any issues I'm going to pass on to my children what do you think see now I have said basically from the start of secondary school that I am never having children I don't know if you remember this yeah yeah, yeah. I was going to bring it up with you because I'm kind of on the same I'm on the same kind of ballpark right now I'm not really feeling children yeah no no but literally it's interesting that you worded this the way you did because the genuinely the reason why I have always said that I don't want kids is I don't want to be or make the same mistakes that my mother did with raising me, mm. which sounds really harsh, but some of the stuff that I experienced as a teenager and some of the arguments and even like at the moment issues that I've had with stuff that's been said it literally was such a wake-up call with some of the arguments I've had with my mum because I'd not had arguments with her like that in literally like three or four years. Yeah. But it was it was a it was very similar argument to one that I'd had before. And when I had this particular argument, I felt sick because I was like, oh my gosh, that's exactly like when this other previous thing happened and it was from years it ago. It was very bad. Do you know what I mean? It, yeah. as, as teenage Isabel from like 13 14 15 was very very traumatized by that yeah evidently because I, I felt ill yeah. when I then had this argument so I 100% agree with that very very strongly because I have always said I do not want to put a child through the emotions that I've experienced hmm. you know and I I or whenever I heard this, and I'm not going to lie to you as well, whenever I heard you say that when you when we were younger, not now, I always yeah. thought, oh, well, that's just because she's like not had a good experience of childhood. But literally, it comes down to the fact that if you don't have a good experience of childhood, why would you want to give that? It's actually because I always just used to think, oh, well, you're being selfish. And like, also, that's a lot of internalized misogyny about the fact that women's only purpose yes. is to have children. Yes, I would agree with that. But also, like, I, I just thought, like, oh, well, I don't feel that way but a lot of the time it's because and a lot 
like I look around at some of my friends who say that they still want to have children and I think you know I'd think twice I don't want to like sit here and therapy <laughs> like be be their therapist but it's very obvious like yeah. I genuinely don't think the apple falls that far from the tree unless you do something about it. And one of the biggest things Amy Lee talks about is the fact that therapy is like the, one of the only ways to get through the problems because like a lot, like in my friendship group, we rarely talk about actual emotions and I have one close friend who I actually talk about how I feel with Yeah. and the rest of them, like I have a running joke with Lily about the fact that we literally never open up to each other and it's not good because it's like, they don't know, like, say, for example, quarantine's hit me and my family relationships really hard, and none of my friends really know that. Yeah. And so I just think that, coming back to it, I think a lot of the time when people say, oh, well, I still want children, even though that they might not necessarily have had a good childhood, it's because they're almost oblivious or unconscious to the trauma that they have, and trauma's a big word, so I don't really yes. want to use it lightly, but yeah, the, the yeah. bad experiences they've they've had. Yeah, I... I agree with what you're saying there and I agree with what you said about friendships and therapy and I think an interesting thing to note is my belief in the fact that I think every single person um, through kind of like 16 to about 20 has to have a mandatory therapist that is assigned to them. Hmm. That's like a belief that I have in terms of like English teenagers I think we should all have someone that we can turn to because one thing that I've come to the realization of is no one you no one owes you the time of day like you don't actually have aside from like occasionally your mum but a lot of the time they have their own issues as well so you can't always rely on that yeah everybody has their own stuff to be dealing with yeah. no one owes you the time to listen to every single issue that you have and know every single issue and give you advice all the time and everything no, it's and emotionally draining I completely it is, agree. it's enormously emotionally draining and I genuinely believe that everybody even if because thing is if if it was not if that was normalized I think everybody would feel much better about it because say you didn't even have to ever see them you saw them once like when you turned 16 and it was like you might not need me right now this is the email if you ever need me you contact me Hmm. and it's like an NHS service thing that we would have and you could email them at any time tell them what was going on fill them in and they could be like okay do you need advice do you need to ring me what what do you need because that is someone who is paid to listen to your problems and that is like the most revolutionary thing I think nobody takes advantage of yeah like you could literally tell someone so much stuff and like then your friendships would stay as friendships and you'd be able to have banter and your relationships would stay as relationships and instead of like therapy like you would be able to get into a relationship and enjoy the joys of that instead of being bogged down by like you can you can very easily tell your partner or your best friend like I'm going through a bit that a bit at the moment and if they want to listen they can but with that kind of thing I think everybody needs someone who is literally paid to listen just so that you can get stuff out do you know what I mean I completely agree not to I am Amy Lee's biggest fan girl right now but she also basically says the same thing she says that everybody in their life four times a year should have a therapist for every single season and I just like I myself am looking into therapy and it's like on the surface you would think like I'm not I'm not gonna sit here and absolutely um kiss my ass but on the surface like I you know, I got into a good uni, I have, like, a podcast, I seem happy, I have friends, you know what I mean? But then also, it's like, I'm actually quite unhappy a lot of the time, and it's about stuff that, sometimes it's about stuff that I just can't even change, or it's, like, about my, the way I think. Yeah. It's just, I think sometimes it's just, and, and one of my friends said to me, um, well, I, and, like, it is a bit insensitive, and she, um, she said, I don't, well, I don't think depression really exists. And and she was just like, you know, if you exercise and you um, get out and you have, like, speak to friends and stuff and you eat healthily and she was just like, you just, you could you can't be depressed. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit here and, like, say that I'm depressed, I'm not. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. there has been times where I've felt extremely low and, and there's been nothing actually major wrong in my life and yeah. I'm, in a lot of ways, very, very lucky. Yeah, I don't think it's anything to do with how lucky you are or anything, like, I have a friend who literally just has an issue with the amount of serotonin in her body. Hmm. Like, she genuinely doesn't have enough. Her body doesn't produce serotonin at the levels that it should. Yeah. And it that literally causes depression. Like, it's not about 
how privileged you are like we are both really really lucky in the way that we have been brought up as much as we're sat here talking about dysfunctional families yeah. and like <laughs> issues with relationships and stuff in actual fact in the grand scheme of things we yeah. are very very lucky yeah exactly but that doesn't stop us from having issues and that doesn't stop us from experiencing things and I have to say whoever that friend was I hope they listen to this because I'm giving them a slap on the wrist verbally that's atrocious yeah I, I did think it was insensitive but at the time well, at the time I wasn't feeling like the way that I have done in the past so I just didn't yeah. really know how to react but yeah I just think that you have to be so careful with these you really do topics but um we've kind of strayed so what what we were what, what we're talking about was do you like at the end of the day do you think like I think with the phrase the apple falls far from the tree that phrase basically enables toxic behavior and it basically allows it to carry on and it's a vicious cycle basically yes it is I think just to conclude that kind of point and it's a it's a hugely drastic thing that I'm about to say but I think with the choice to have kids everybody needs to be really internal about it yes it's fair enough to say I want a child I want a family this that and the other but if you actually sat down and thought about your own capacity to understand that child and your parents capacity to understand you as a child when yeah. you were growing up are you likely to be able to give them a non-dysfunctional and happy childhood yeah or are you going to subject them to your own failings as a child your own traumas as a child and shoehorn them into something that you want them to be because I think there is a lot of example there are a lot of examples of kids being forced or encouraged very 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 directly into particular career paths into particular family models into particular ways of thinking because of a parent's failings to understand them as people and I think we should all be more mindful of how we impact a child if you are going to have a family I completely agree and I think it comes down to the the like I don't, it's not a set saying but like you shouldn't have children unless you're going to love them unconditionally yes and you shouldn't have children unless you have like the mental capacity and like headspace to do so because yeah it's not it's not fair on them and like no it's not like genuinely a lot of the stuff that shows up in later life like I'm talking like from the ages of like one to four and people who will have studied psychology will know a lot more about this than I do but yeah like from the ages of one to four literally those those um prime years really shape like the person you'd become unless you um address it and yeah. so many people don't even realize that like you can shape the way you think and that there are different ways to go about yeah from that young yeah you know it, it is like very harmful and very toxic and, and like don't get me wrong like um the, the other day I was with my friends and we were doing this like card game and um it was like one of the cards was who's the least likely to like have children and there was only like five of us there mm-hmm. and um I got pointed at like instantly because I right. made comments about um you know well I'm, I'm just like right now obviously being only 17 I'm quite career focus on like yes. academic, academic yes. focus and so I think that they potentially picked it up from that because I've never ever said anything explicit about not wanting children but I would rather you know think about it and take time and understand whether I'm going to be a beneficial parent and create yes. a person who's going to contribute well to society rather than just rushing in to have children without thinking about it yeah I think what we have to remember with having children is you're not you can't have a child for you because yeah. the second that child is born it is a separate human being to you. That is not your child. That is a human being in itself. Yeah, biologically, it's your kid and you're its parent, but it is an entirely separate human being. And I think a lot of parents forget that because they're so used to having this kid as an extension of their arm as it's growing up. Mm. It's very difficult for them to then separate their own child from the person that is like they are becoming. Like, yes you're still a family, you're still X, Y, Z, but you're still having to understand that they are entirely separate people. And I think that's where a lot of the issues lie. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about teenage relationships in general. So what do you think? Because I myself, I've never been in a relationship, so I'm really not the sort of person to come and ask about this, but you have. So what do you think? I have indeed. So I think relationships as a teenager are fundamental for 
the amount of development and understanding that you can do I don't think obviously they are necessary you've gone through most of your teenage years without being in a relationship <laughs> but actually but I'll I speak know. about I'll speak about why I think I've gone through my most of my years without relationship but carry on yeah okay fab but I know for a fact that I would not be the person I was I am today if I had not gone through that relationship and come out of the other side of it like I was in a relationship for two and a half years of my teenage years that is a long time yeah. when you're a teenager but for me that relationship did help me to understand myself more and what I needed to do in order to be myself and find out who I am even after we had broken up Mm. so like I going back to me saying I think they are fundamental this is a very weird example but it's it's one that I think is really 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 good so you know Love Island yes there was um, a person oh, on Love Amy. Island, Amy, and she had never been in a relationship. Yeah. Now, Love Island lasts eight weeks, is it? Yeah. I so think, halfway yeah. through that, there they went to Casa Moor. They had that whole situation. And the guy she was with came back from Casa Moor, and she was ready to say that she was in love with him. And he came back with someone from Casa Moor. <laughs> oh, wait, I'm not entirely... He might have done. <laughs> but it's, it's one of those situations of... I think you need to have the teenage upset and maybe not heartbreak. That is a very strong word, but experience being in a relationship and experiencing breaking up and understanding that it's not the end of the world when you're older, like being able to look back at it and be like, yes, that was a good relationship while it lasted. It needed to end, you know, or it wasn't Mm. a good relationship for some people like it, it needed to end. I think you need that because the first time you do get into a relationship, speaking from personal experience, it might not be the same for everyone, but I think it's like, very hard hitting because you've never experienced anything like that before and you get so used to the person's presence that when they're suddenly not there it's like oh my gosh what do I do with my life you know yeah so I think having that at a young age even if you are with someone for like six months you've then had that experience and you can go into slightly more adult life understanding it a bit more do you know what I mean yeah I completely agree I myself have nothing against people who have had relationships when they were younger and if anything I'm probably jealous because the fact like you said I've not really experienced that that thing I'll I'll explain my theory around why I've not had a relationship so my parents specifically my mum has always said you've got really high expectations like no one's met them yet etc 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 right but I think that that is a little bit of bull just because of the fact that there has been a few times specifically one at the end of year 11 during GCSEs and one during year 12 like and actually I was gonna say the actual date but (laughs) that person did go on to have a full relationship with someone else anyway both of those people um, are now in like 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 full-on relationships and my issue was that as soon as I got a little bit close to them I like felt sick a lot of girls know it is the ick and like I the ick is the biggest like issue in my life like genuinely I it's awful but I've done a lot of self-reflection and a lot of research and fundamentally I think it comes down to the fact that I've got um an, an avoidant attachment type I right. remember Katie telling me this in year 12 when she first started studying it in psychology and I felt absolutely called out because it was like all <laughs> of my flaws on paper but oh my god I think I think a lot of the reason why I've never had a relationship is because of the fact that I like push people away anyway this isn't a therapy session for me but that was my kind of explanation why I think it is and hopefully you know I'll go to uni and I'll find someone that ticks all the boxes and maybe not who knows maybe I'll turn out like Amy gotta hope not but you know but also like I don't like in no like I'm not trying to patronize Amy but I can I could in that situation like, I didn't watch the violin I kind of watched it intermittently like not religiously right. yeah and um, I watched clips of that um, episode and I'm not being funny I would not be as stupid to think that coming back after like four weeks anyway I mean you know I'm not trying to slag her off but um, I'm just saying that I think that I've got a certain level of emotional intelligence, but yeah. I definitely think there's something to be said about teenage relationships. You gain so much. I think, like, initially after the breakup, you lose a lot of confidence in yourself because, like you say, they, it kind of become two becomes one. But I think it's very beneficial because you kind of understand yourself more and what you like and what you don't like. And I don't yes. think there's anything wrong with that. But having read, um, on a kind of a different strand of thought, having mm. read Women Don't Know You Pretty by Florence Given, there was a chapter in yes. there 
which spoke about having high standards and she spoke about basically being able to be comfortable with being single basically right and she said that a lot of the time like she 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 basically said if you go a year without having dated anyone um but you've gone on dates and no one's met your standards don't beat yourself up about it because that's about having boundaries and about not lowering your kind of expectations expectations. what do you think about that I 100% agree with that I think getting into a relationship you have to be able to find someone who does tick all your boxes but that is specifically like getting into a relationship I think what's really interesting about teenagers is a lot of the time we don't actually get into relationships Mm. we just vibe is the wrong word but you know what I mean (laughs) (laughs) mess around yeah yeah Yeah, that's a really crude way of putting it thank you for that Libby yeah but um I think there is a lot to say about being on your own and taking the time to do your own thing Mm. but I think there's there's with teenagers a very big difference between like getting into a relationship and what that means especially at our age and like what someone thinks a relationship should entail to just like experimentation you know I think that's another thing that is very very important for like teenage development but I don't think that can necessarily take place within a relationship because there's there's only so much a relationship can do like if you're with the same person for an extended period of time I know specifically for me it was very beneficial it was wonderful but then coming out of that I had to like work out what it was I was looking for do you know what I mean yeah I get that I get that I I think that I don't know, it's a hard one because at the same time I would argue that when you're that young, you, like, I think, I've always said to myself, um, especially, like, having um, done, like, like studied a lot of relationships, like, whether studied. that um, is, like, just within my family or okay. other people or TV shows, etc., etc. I think that a relationship takes two things. I think it takes love and I think it takes compatibility yes. and when you're that young I think you just go for anyone you fancy and I'm not and I'm not here gonna saying like when you're 13 14 you need to find a life partner obviously not but yeah. when you're that young you literally just go for who's attractive who's liked yes and I think yes. that's why yes, yes, sometimes yes, yes, yes. teenage relationships are quite toxic yes I was literally gonna mention like toxic teenage relationships I think we are too young as teenagers to understand what a toxic relationship is. Like the media is flooded with all these different relationships, like films, various different ways that things are done. And I think a lot of the time, some of the relationships that you see in films are quite toxic because it's like, but it's romanticized. So then when teenagers get into relationships because like, oh, it's romantic. So it's it's great it's good it's this it's that it's the other you then get into the relationship and you have no idea what boundaries you need to put up because you're too young and you've never experienced anything like that before yeah so and, and you're I, shy and you're not as confident as you should be and you're not um as well set in your morals and stuff like that yes I would I definitely agree with you there which which I think is part of the reason why it's so necessary for us to experience teenage relationships as mm. long as we are safe with it in the sense that you can separate yourself from the relationship or end the relationship as long as you're able to do that and you're confident that you're in a relationship with someone that you can do that with I think it's very important to understand that and experience that because then you can be you are able to self-reflect afterwards and you know okay I can't do that again I'm not going to get into a relationship with that kind of person it means I can then look for this because then I know for a fact that I can look for or no, I know exactly what I want in a relationship now. I'm quite literally exactly what I want because I have experienced the things that I don't want or yeah. I didn't appreciate within someone. So I can then know as I'm getting older, regardless of if it's going to be my life partner, as you so graciously put it, or if it's just going to be a relationship that will last. It's like you use those experiences to find exactly what it is you're looking for so that you can find it sooner absolutely I think dating around and having these relationships with younger is a way of kind of learning refining spotting red flags and stuff like that yes yes and, yes, yes and that is absolutely like indispensable in regards to like I said finding someone who you want to dedicate if you want a polyamorous relationship for the rest of your life you know want to dedicate the rest of your life with um, yes. I've got a slightly personal question to you I haven't spoken to one of my friends who's in a relationship right now um mm. um 
she said, um, I don't think your first, like, I think your first love will always be your first love, um, or like there's, there's something so special about that. What, what do you think? Okay. I think, I don't think there's something enormously special about it. God, this is going to be awful. I hope, I hope this person doesn't hear this. If they do, I'm sorry. Well, I I'm not I that sorry. Anyway, continuing. I think it's not enormously special. I think as you, are they still in this first relationship of theirs? Yeah, but say what you want to. <laughs> I think, I think had you asked me this question when I was in that relationship, I would have had the exact same answer that she did so I completely agree wherever she is right now in that relationship it will make sense for her to think that having come out of my first love relationship however you want to put it I don't think that I think I don't know if that's just because I I have a tendency to detach myself from someone before I actually end things so I'll mentally cut them off about a month before I physically cut them off because I think mentally for me I then know that I'm not going to be that upset about it afterwards because I've already got upset about it. But why do you, know don't you I mean? just why don't you just end it with them as soon as you realise you're not in it anymore? Because I'm not going to act on the fact that I'm not in it anymore. I like withdraw internally because okay. then they're still there, and there's it's not like I can cry about it and be really upset about it because they're still there. But I come to terms with the fact that I don't want. To, this is exactly what happened with with this particular relationship. I had already decided and. Joe already knew that I was going to break up with this person a month before I broke up with them Mm. because I had mentally concluded that it wasn't a good relationship. I needed to try and distance myself from them. So I think in the last three weeks of the relationship, I saw them three times, twice. So you actually basically broke up with them in your mind, dealt with the heartbreak on your own and internalised it and then broke up with them. (laughs) Yeah, that is exactly what I did. Is that healthy? (laughs) Um, probably not, but no. it was the best way of handling it at the time, okay. and I stand by that way of handling it. It just meant that I didn't have to deal with me being upset for an extended period of time. But going back to what you said about your first love being like the most important first love, I disagree, but I think time causes me to disagree. I have experienced that and have now moved on and experienced other things, mm. and I think at the age of 50, 60, 70, there are some people that say, oh yes, this was my first love. But equally, there are some people that just don't care. And I and I don't I think, think I'm going to. I think those people that like, are with their first love and like never dated anyone else is because the pool was probably quite small. They probably yeah. lived in a small village of a population of 50. There was about three people in each class. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> they didn't ever move. Yeah, they exactly. just settled down. So that's yeah, but... the, in my head when people say that, that's the type of people I imagine. But not only that, but there is a thing, isn't there, about, oh, your first love, even if you do break up with them, you'll always remember them. Yeah. And I think I will bear them in mind but it's not something that I'll generally (laughs) it's not something I'll reflect on really ever I think it's just that happened do you know what I mean like I don't feel any type of way about it I'm not still in love with them but I think I I just find that phrase like a bit odd because for me I've never been in love but if I'm if I were to fall in love with someone I'm gonna fall in love with everyone I I'm gonna remember every single person I've fallen in love with because I don't think I don't think you can fall in love in two weeks so let's say each you know, say, say in like most people's lives, they probably have about five, th- three to five full on relationships where they fall in yep. love with people. How, yep. how do you forget all four except the first one? Like, See, what? now there's a theory about this that I read um, quite recently, actually, that basically says you don't fall out of love with someone. You continue to love them until you love someone more. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, so it's no, not I like that's true. You, you don't fall out of love and you don't just forget about the other person the other people but you are more in love more compatible with someone else do you know what I mean yeah like so I can say with a clean conscience and like all I can say with my whole chest that it wasn't a good relationship at the end and it wasn't healthy for me yeah and that because of that and it wasn't likely to change well, it it wasn't going to change, I needed to cut that off. So in the time that it took me to get over that, I 
can freely say I'm no longer in love with them. I've not fallen in love with someone else more. I know that that's the most I've ever loved another person that I was in a relationship with, but I don't need that because it wasn't healthy for me as a person, Yeah, you know? I just think in conclusion, I mean, I am coming from a very naive perspective, but I just think you can never forget anyone you fall in love with. So I think the phrase, you never forget your first love, is like, yeah, but you also never forget your second, third and fourth. If you've loved that person with so much force you know what I mean I agree I think it's over the whole of your life I don't think you'll ever forget anyone that you were in love with but I think especially as a teenager the amount of hormones that you're like experiencing the amount of changes that are going on in your body you're you're going to feel everything so strongly as though it's like the most intense thing and you're never going to forget that person because you're going through all these emotions and it's incredible but in actual fact a lot of the time it can come down to just hormones and like, Ooh, I, I'm not. I'm not gonna say. Oh, that's a questionable uh, statement. I'm not trying to say that I experienced that or like everyone's experienced that. But we do feel and project our emotions as teenagers really, really strongly because of the hormones. Yeah. So I think you can be in love with someone at that age. I'm not disputing it. I think I definitely felt like I was, but at that age the hormones that you experience will make everything more intense and the changes in your body will make everything more intense so I think as you get older I'm still not disputing the fact that I was in love with this person at the time but like now I probably wouldn't experience it in the same way that I did back then. So do you think that your first love is like your so would you say that your first love is your deepest love or your like least deepest love your most what's the word I don't know your lightest love. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's the word. Yeah, that's what we'll go with. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's either. I think the first person you fall in love with, at the time, it feels like the biggest, most crushing thing in the entire, entire world. And I think that's what your friend is referring to, the fact that they are the first proper relationship, the first really intense thing. And you're you're old enough to like work out what you want and work out how you want things to be and so on. But I think the relationships that you end up having as you get older are more complete because you have had life experience yeah I think I, I definitely think that's true I think almost it's not the fact that sorry Bill, it's not the fact that your first love is like the most incredible one it's yeah. the fact that it's the first time you're experiencing love that yeah yeah that's that's probably what I meant that is what I meant <laughs> my bad yeah no I, like you know when people say oh I wish I could re-watch that movie or I wish I could re-watch and um, re-read that film or re-listen to that song that film. yeah you know yeah. yes yes that one but like I think that's what makes it so special about it is it's the first time it's the first time you're experiencing it yeah I think. yeah I 100% agree with that I think that's what I meant instead of it being the most incredible thing. Well, well there you go don't worry about it I summed it up for you yeah thank you well we've come to a nice little end so um we can stop here thank you so much once again it's always fun having you on for a little bit of a discussion thank you Um, i thoroughly enjoyed it yeah thanks for giving me some of your time and i will speak to you later yeah speak to you later bye so that was isabel milner you can catch her on instagram at isabel milner thank you for listening to the end if you enjoyed give it a share i was going to say give it a thumbs up i don't think you can give it a thumbs up on spotify But make sure to follow the account as well and um, I'll speak to you later. Stay safe. Bye.